Hey everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio with the Frontline Mindset. I am excited. I have a longtime friend with me uh, since starting National Fire Radio back in 2018. I have gotten to meet a lot of firefighters from around the country. Uh, the most humble group that I get to meet is the people from New England. And at a Fool's event, I believe that's where we first met Pat. Yeah, uh, I got to meet Patrick Smith with a bunch of other New England Fools under the uh, direction of Rusty Ricker. Who, Rusty, I have not forget about you. I've got your stuff back here, and I will ship it to you, I promise. All right. Uh, but anyway, Pat, we've we've met. Patrick Smith, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is yeah, uh, man. amazing. Yeah, I, and I know that I'm working on the background, so I mean, you see my one uniforms hanging there with my <laughs> wrapping paper stuff, and we already discussed the mess of notebooks that are back there. Um, so, all right, Pat. Kind of uh, for for those who are out there that don't know you, uh, just give me a you know a quick rundown of of who you are, where you work, and uh, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll start there. All right, yeah, I'm Pat Smith, as Rob said. Um, been in the fire service for 14, 15 years now. Started as a call call firefighter in my own town, Marshfield. Um, moved up to full time. Uh, 2015 promoted lieutenant then 2020 got made captain um since taking over the training division um uh, just recently which i'm trying to update and kind of uh move forward but fire service has really been my life he, since i was a kid i remember visiting my dad uh, at the fire station when um he was working a couple towns north uh grandfather was the chief of marshfield and prior to that was weymouth the same the same department my dad worked for um marshfield is 20 three generations then three generations yep all right awesome so the um marshfield is 25 ish or so miles max um south of boston on the coast um but about about the same distance away from the cape so right between boston and plymouth rock um population is about 25 to thirty thousand. uh 50 50 or 52 members right now. We have a chief, two deputies, and four 12-man shifts. My shift is at 11 right now. Um, and we do on average about 45, 4,600 runs a year. So pretty busy for the area, minus some of the cities. But. And that's out of uh, one station, uh, did you say, or two? Three stations. Three stations, okay. Yep. All, right. All right. And on top of this, Pat, you've also worked for the Massachusetts State Fire Academy as an instructor as well. Uh, yeah, so I started in the academy uh february of 2017 i think um started as an instructor uh moved up to instructor two taught a lot with writ and pretty much everywhere i was i was all over the place and actually last year the year before i made assistant coordinator for rapid invention so i do a lot of the scheduling and um scheduled classes for departments and grad um quattro from bellingham and i have been trying to update the program as much as we can and kind of move that forward as well I think that's amazing here because I know there's a lot of rapid intervention programs that are out there that kind of stay stagnant, you know, and we're yeah. still teaching stuff that we were doing in like 99 in the wake of, which is, you know, had just recently passed of uh, the Worcester mass fire when the, yeah. the, we lost the brothers up there. Yeah. Um, and and so much has changed technology wise and just our approach to it, I think has been, uh, so it's, yeah. it's good to hear that in, in the fire service. Yeah. Mass was really, um, progressive right after actually right around just prior to um the instant 99 and then afterwards there's a group of 
group of guys that actually still around that um kind of formulated the rip program and made it what it is today and we've just been little minor tweaks trying to update some of the, the skills and kind of bring things forward and um but it, i was saying it's a very very good program so it's nice awesome um so pat one of the one of the things that we wanted to kind of hit on tonight is that we're we're both in this unique situation of being in charge of training and uh, or, or having our hands in training in a smaller department with staffing issues and yeah. just, you know, and kind of how your backgrounds prepared you for this, because really, you know, it's just the books tell us one thing, but the reality of what we do is completely different. And I'm not just talking about like the five people on a hose line, you know, the, the seven man truck company that doesn't exist or the 20 people that we're going to put on a banger to get it up to the, to the third or fourth floor. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. So what, what's, where do you want to start with this? Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it, definitely the differences between like, especially I, I went to the Academy before I was hired full-time. I was, um, 2010, um, the, the state was kind of not in a recession, but the economy wasn't great. So they actually opened up the call, the, the, um, the Academy to call guys. I was one of two, two members in my class that, or call members when I went through the recruit program. What's uh, what is a call firefighter for those who aren't familiar with New England? So it's it's not it's not volunteer. Um, you do get paid. Um, I forget how much it is. I think it's like a thousand bucks a year for us. So it's it's pretty much volunteer. Um, but it's kind of foot in the door. A lot of the guys that got hired around my my time started as callmen, um, and they it's you can go to boxes. Um, actual work in building fires but for our town you're you're primarily exterior it's more support changing out bottles um putting lights up rolling hoses at the end taking down ladders and all that stuff so um they do a lot of training um but it's guys that have full-time careers that want to help out and can't really or don't have the availability to get on full-time mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of a lot of departments around um especially south coast and Kind of southern mass that do it and then out past worcester um that are, are considered call and and it could be different like you know the what was happening in your department there's others where a call firefighter could be doing everything yeah yeah exactly okay. so yeah we're it's a it's a very small call i think there's only like six members left now um but yeah, so when I when I first went through the the mass fire academy with them i i was just a call guy so i did one training a month um from from Marshfield, and then I went to the. At that point, it was a twelve-week career recruit program, and we were doing everything that the recruit program does, which is stretch two and a half, stretch stretch for building fires. But we had like four people on the line. Um, obviously, when I got hired full time, we went through departmental training, and we had to do it too. It was myself and the other the other member that I was hired with, and I remember thinking to, back to myself how different it was, like especially just stretching something as simple as stretching hoses or pulling up the hydrant with two members. And um, so it was really eye-opening. And since then, um, it's especially when I started taking outside classes, there's a lot of people that teach um, non-academy ways of stretching hoses and all that stuff. And I mean, I understand 100% um, why they have to teach to, uh, to a standard and all that stuff with the four people on the line. But then the challenges come in when you have two people and you're trying to do the same thing. 
Um, so it's definitely, it's it's been interesting trying to formulate how to go about doing the same thing with half the members. And I'm sure just like you, you're running the same issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and there is a part of my career where, you know, the struggle wasn't that there was only two or three of us doing the work. We weren't even allowed to train for it. Really? Yeah, like, you, you know, like, the, and I mean, I'm not talking like the last couple, but like, you know, when I, like, like the thought of like pulling hose off the truck yeah you know it was just like it was such just it, you know it was looked at as this arduous task yeah so like and even myself i was like well all right if it's gonna be too much of a pain then we won't do it you know like you didn't know what you didn't know yeah yeah it, it we've definitely run into that from time to time um my group right now to be honest with you i i, I love my group they they're very motivated um so anytime we're like, hey, let's do a hose evolution or anything like that, they never really complain. Um, I even ask sometimes, say, like, hey, what do you guys want to do today? And I think that one of the last times I asked that, they had suggested um, trying to, or basically seeing how much water we can flow out of the new engine. Because uh, it's it's a, it's a re, not redesigned. It's, um, we normally run 1250 gallon minute pumps and we had a 1750. Um, so the guys weren't used to that. Plus we have the new ladder. So we're like, oh, let's go over to the fairgrounds. We'll flow some water and kind of just more mess around than anything. But they were like, yeah, let's let's lay four inch. Let's throw the ladder pipe. Let's um, do the do the blitz gun, the deck gun, anything you guys want. And it's they were very, very motivated, which is nice to see. Um, but it's yeah. it is tough sometimes because I know we talked about it prior to. But not only do you have not the staffing that. We don't, we're not arriving with four people with 25 people doing all this stuff, especially for training. We have 10, maybe 11 guys, depending on the shift, because uh, we lose one to dispatch right away. And Oh, one's a dispatcher. Okay. Yeah. So because we, we're one of the only departments um, right now in our area that kept our fire alarm up. So we get the secondary piece up, um, which is awesome. I mean, it, it helps out the community and all that stuff, and, and it helps out our job getting that information right away but um so every single time and the guys will guys will me it's the same everywhere um when there's food on the table or you're trying to train that's when all the calls come in yeah and that, that adds another factor where hey we just let la we just laid two three hundred feet of four inch or more we threw the ladder and started flowing thousands of gallons a minute and now a medical comes in so lose two people on the box and then uh, a couple guys on the engine, they'll come back after the call, but then a second medical comes in. Now we, we brought our 10 to 11 down to six or seven, and then sometimes even more depending. So we're, we're left with just a handful of people. And now it's, there's guys missing the training and it's not like we can break everything down and then hope later on, we can just do it all over again. It's, more of a well we're already flowing water let's keep going but now everything has to we're hoping no other calls come in and you're taking a risk especially throwing the ladder and laying all that line that building fire doesn't come in um i know they right. don't happen in small towns as often as they used to or as often as some of us would hope but um it it brings in that extra factor of you have to kind of think about okay if something big comes in or a report of building fire comes in what are we going to leave behind? What are we breaking down? Um, who's going to break everything down? Who's the quickest at something? And um, let's just get on and go. And I'm trying to explain that. Like, hey, like, 
if we have the crosslays off, like just disconnect them, leave them, and we'll steal them off another truck when we get them because we're all going. So it's yeah. these challenges that kind of are behind the scenes that I know that I, I for some reason the fear of stripping the crosslays off the rig and you know in your in your hand lines and we're we're a crosslay department and we have a pre-connected four hundred off the back. Yeah. Um, so like one of the big struggles for me was or how I overcame the struggle was to uh, make. 200 foot hose bundles and yep. just kind of toss them up on the top of the uh of the engine or keep them in in the staff car with me just so i could you know like i can i can steal the nozzle pretty quickly right yeah and at least we're not because i know that's you know it's it is in the back of everybody's head as we're doing this yeah. but then and then we found we you know thankfully we bought a bunch of Elkhart nozzles so we just moved our secondary nozzles onto those hose packs to serve right. as the you know the just in case but like that that is the thought process that has to happen yeah. when you're in this limited manpower staffing and you're and you want to affect good training yeah yeah exactly it's it's definitely a struggle um it was eye-opening to me when i first started doing um training on on my group that i have now um but it's it's, I don't know, it's it luckily we've, we've locked out, especially recently, um, most of those trainings that we did, especially the latter one, I think we only got one call, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but then all of a sudden when we're trying to either clean up, like we did, ho we did hose testing and every single time we're, we do hose testing, the department just gets stripped like completely. And uh, I remember we had 12 or 1300 feet of four inch plus all the cross lays off an engine and I'm sitting there waiting for it, waiting for it. I mean, it doesn't take that long. In the, the, the majority of the time is packing a pose. And uh and I even joked, I, I looked at somebody, I go, I said, you know, as soon as we get that last piece of four inch on this truck, I said, we're getting all the calls. And sure enough, <laughs> we were nonstop for a couple of hours after that. And uh yeah. But it's it, anything we try to do, I mean that's part of the business though, but you just have to kind of either risk it but also have a contingency plan. Like you said, with the roles, that's a great idea. Um and so, I think I'll use that. So so let's uh like let's kind of talk about this. Um, how you're overcoming this. Like, what are some of the tips, tricks, and hacks that you've used in, in Marshfield to kind of come up with this? Because, like, you, you know, and you, how many ambulances are you guys cross-tapping? So we have we have two frontline engines, or, yeah, engines, uh, ambulances. Um, so four members uh, are the primary pieces, which we was actually a change that we met after after COVID. Um, the, the chief at the time, instead of having eight members at the center and two at each outline station, he split up the, the department. So it was four, four and four. And um, which was an awesome idea just for um, exposures. And then once obviously that was over, everybody kind of came back, but they liked the idea of splitting the town. Um, prior to that, it was P1 used to go out the door and no matter what it was, if they were out, then P2 went out. So now it's P2 goes north, P1 goes south and everybody's happy. Um, so, but those two crews crossed after the ladder. Um, so which brings in another kind of aspect of that, because if both ambulances are over, I kind of already have to split them and like, Hey, let's get the ladder over there. Um, just yeah. in case. But then if both of them are out, then I'm splitting my engine and one of us has to bring the ladder back. Um, so it, it's literally just having a plan and kind of seeing what happens and having a plan of like, Hey, if this call comes in, like, and it's in my district and my engine is tag tagging hydrant right now, then I, I tell engine one and engine two, they're going to have to split the town for at least medicals. And if it's a fire alarm call, just quick disconnects and just go. 
Yeah. Um, like we leave that we have two um, two engines with full complement of hydrogen cis valves and hydrogen bags and all that stuff. So if we leave one hydrogen cis valve at at the the hydrant across the street, then it's not necessarily huge detrimental. Um, but we're obviously going to try not to. But yeah. depending on the timing and what the yeah. call is. What other what other approaches like uh, so when you're you know as you've been doing this do you do you break it down into smaller pieces to kind of make it more manageable? I mean, obviously, like you're talking before about a, a larger thing where you were flowing water. There's no easy way to do that. But like on some of the other stuff, how do you do you break it down? Because I know I that's one of my things that I try to do. But like, what's what's your your method to the madness? It depends on the training. Um, I've, I've actually for the past year or so, I've been trying to formulate how to redo kind of, we have monthly trainings. So now I'm in charge of kind of figuring out how to do that. So I've been trying to do kind of a crawl walk run version of it um, mm -hmm. where like one, one mandatory training a month um, on a specific topic is just a review um, or bring everybody down for a PowerPoint, then review of the equipment and kind of have everybody there. It's a simple one where if it gets interrupted, we can just bring everybody back after the calls and do it. Then we progress from there. So um, one of the ones we did was chimney fire training. So we had a ladder review. So that's not necessarily a huge detriment to um, calls because we can toss a ladder back in real quick and have them go. Um, or we'll take it off a spare piece or the ladder itself or what have you. Um, so then we did a ladder review, then chimney fire um, equipment review and location on each, each every piece has chimney fire equipment. Um, and then we did the setup of all, all the different equipment. And then the last, last training of that month was you get dispatched your first due to a chimney fire and it's literally you dispatch it and you go. So in order to do that, you had a lot of people working, but I always kept one engine as kind of the frontline engine during the training that mm -hmm. no matter what call it came in, where it was, they're going to go. Um, right. So engine two is the North um, engine. So if a district one call came in while they're doing the operation engine two is just going to cover um something as simple as that but then obviously if a building fire comes in i you have to make it known like hey who's going to break down the ladder who's going where and kind of talk about it prior to um so because that's and that's uh, you know there's there's some cool takeaways on that because you're one keeping everybody operational ready uh, operationally ready for the fire. So you're already kind of putting that mindset in into everyone. Yeah. And then two, the assigned task of like, hey Pat, you're gonna get outriggers, I'll get the aerial device down, you know, and once that's batted, like there, there's that system in place for that. So everybody knows their role when that if that building fire comes in while we're in the middle of uh, of doing the training. So I think there's a you know there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there and it's a good thing. Yeah. And having that for, format, I mean, there's a couple of the trainings. We're, we're actually having a meeting tomorrow about it um, and kind of formulate what we're going to do for uh, 2024. Like everybody's going to grab a, a month and just write it out and write out the skill sheets and all that stuff with that same format. But there's going to be some that takes everybody to do. And then there's going to be others that takes two companies versus one company. But everybody just kind of rotates through. Um, we're, we have seven miles of coast. So one of the trainings we do is boat training. So when I first became captain, I used to try to do the center and the north side, launch a boat on the north side, and then come back and launch a boat on the, on the, so the southern end, which is the beach station, 
to try to keep everybody kind of located. But then I quickly realized it's just as easy to bring everybody to one location and just have people cover or have them cover the center while we're doing stuff and then bring and then flip flop them. Um, and it's, you have, you automatically lose two people while they're out on the water. So you have them on radios and kind of, you know, make sure that if they're on a front line, like on P1 or P2, then somebody's going to jump up and if, whether it be the engine driver, whether it be whoever has to we right. just mix match crews, which yeah. isn't ideal because everybody likes working the, with that one person, but during that short period of time, I mean, you're only asking for an hour, maybe two hours. It's it's not a huge ask to be like, hey, you're gonna the driver of engine two has to jump on the ambulance for one call. Um, so, right, they're all well, pretty a little camaraderie to build there, though, because everybody's embracing the suck together. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's and it's it's funny. It's when you're going through it. I mean, especially a lot of the guys. We have a very young department, much like around here. Um, we had a huge turnover, so um, we have a very young department, very motivated, and, and they'll they'll have a lot of fun with it, and they'll start throwing, hey, can we do this, can we do that, and depending on timing and calls and stuff, I'll be like, yeah, absolutely, we can jump this uh, jump this in, or like, we'll take the boat out, or if they ask, like, hey, can we do training on this, we'll, we'll add trainings to it. Um, not necessarily the huge, um, huge evolutions, but they, they seem to kind of build that camaraderie and everybody gets along and enjoys it. And after that chimney fire training, it was last year, November, December last year, um, less than a month later, we actually got a chimney fire. It was a nothing, nothing fire. It was just typical old chimney fire. And it literally, it was just identical to what we had set up identical. Right. And I remember he's now a Lieutenant. Um, he was the one of the senior guy, actually the senior guy on my group at the time walks up to me and he's like, He's like, uh, I said, well, that went well. He's like, yeah, almost like we just did it last month. <laughs> so, yeah, but, yeah. You, you said something before too. Um, I thought I wrote it down, but you know, it, it was a good line. Like, uh, you know, what we teach in the academy is not what's going to work out in in that short or staffing limited fire department, right? Everybody's short staffed. I mean, yeah. Um, having been in the you know, as an instructor at the academy, kind because, like, I mean, there's times even for myself where I'm like, I want to hate on the academy. I want to hate on whatever book mm -hmm. they've chosen to use and the people who wrote it. Yep. But like, you know, can, can you can you speak on that a little bit? So, I mean, we all know there's a bunch of different evolutions. Um, and one that comes to mind was actually two and a half. Um, I remember stretching two and a half up to like the fourth floor of the burn tower, um, and just remember, oh my god, I hate this thing and getting back and hearing people talk about two and a halfs and a lot of towns and i've heard a lot of people that haven't necessarily gone to conferences or anything like that resist two and a half and i'm, I'm just honing on two and a half, but there's obviously plenty of other examples we can talk about but um the two and a half a lot of people don't like it because you're like oh it needs four or five people to do so it's the four or five people on a two and a half for us isn't going to work so we got to figure out a different way. And that's one of the things when Rusty took me on as an instructor that my first station um, was two and a half. So I wanted to kind of have people be comfortable with it. It was my, my biggest goal was mm -hmm. have people flow it by themselves, uh, talk about the pressures. Cause a lot of the, the old school guys um, aren't necessarily understanding of hydraulics. So they just throttle up to 
what they think is necessary. And I, I told them, like, hey, if the two, two if the two and a half does have a smooth board, it's not going to need 125 psi like all the other wines. Right. So first of all, you have to rely on your pump operator, and if they're giving you the right pressure, you can absolutely flow the thing by yourself. Um, so I have everybody, smallest to largest, flow flow by themselves. Talk about handling. Talk about different ways of overcoming pinch points with two people. Um, and then during the evolution, that first one, it was down in Connecticut with Rusty. Is I wanted everybody to stretch the two and a half with just two people, and they they did it. And a couple of the crews were um, had the thing on the fire in I think forty five seconds. Yeah, and that was charged. They they did a fantastic job. And I remember there was a couple of the city city guys from a city nearby that um, came up to me, and one of them I'm still really good friends with. And um, they talked about they're like, yeah, we're we're so used to just picking the thing up and just going, and we've never really had to worry about body mechanics or anything like that. So it's amazing to see that you can still do it with half the people. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we want to do it with half the people. We always always push for more staffing, but we have to. I mean, it's yeah. we can't if it's two and a half fire, it's a two and a half fire. An inch and three quarters just not going to work. So if you need more water, um, then you got to figure it out and. That's just one of the examples. Some of the other ones, some well, of the others, and yeah, I just wanted to jump in quick too. Like that's it's you know as you're as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about to my, you know, I'm 16 years old and I'm going through what New York State's program back then was essential firefighting. Yeah, and it was like or firefighting essentials. Maybe it was like a kick-ass program. I mean, it was yeah. just like rootin' tootin' firefighting. Yeah. Um, and they taught like when we had to use a two and a half. They had a nozzle with like you know the the, the older ones with the loop handles on the outside. Oh, yeah. like yeah. Two people grab a hold, and it was, and I just remember like they they put this emphasis on like oh yeah when we're doing when we're you hold on to it you know and like yeah. it was more of a fear yeah of almost like when you know somebody who shoots like a was it, shoots a, like a shotgun that's like a, a feather lighted shotgun and it, you know just you know they got a lot of recoil from it and now they're scared of recoil on everything. Yeah. But I, I feared the, the crap out of that thing to, to the point where there were times where we didn't pull it. We probably should have. But, like, you, you, once again, you don't know what you don't know until somebody was like, hey, this is how you can yeah. – this is how you flow this. This is how you do it. And it's not yeah. taught. You know, it's it's just one of those things. That's a great example. You were, yeah. were going to jump in about ladders, too, I, I think, so, before I cut you yeah. off. So like different different things with ladders. I mean, my my favorite thing is the two and a half. I just like I said, it's there's a lot of misconceptions out there for smaller departments. I mean, I've heard I've heard a ton of different excuses as to why people can't pull it. Not not for my job. Again, my I my job is great. Um, but I've heard a bunch of people the different excuses as to like, hey, it really shouldn't have a smooth bore on it. You should have a combo because otherwise you're not going to be able to control it. I'm like, I, that's one of the kind of beginning phases of why I wanted to make sure that people were comfortable with it because I'm like, like it, all of a sudden, light bulb moment. I was like, I was like, oh, that's because they, they were taught to just charge every line at 120, 130 before they, a lot of them went to the academy and learned hydraulics. Um, and that's just what they're used to. So these guys were trying to pull a two and a half with a smooth bore charged at almost double what it needed and obviously it's gonna it's gonna beat them um they're gonna get launched i mean everybody's seen people launch on the line when it gets over pressurized um so i wanted to kind of especially that first training i wanted and that's where like i love hose stuff um and especially short saft hose stuff but that was one of the big ones with me is i want people to be comfortable with that and then 
um, we teach obviously to IFSA and FBA, um, which is awesome. The, the academy I teach for is very progressive with it and very, it's world renowned. We have visitors from everywhere and it's great. Um, and it's a good base, but some people can't necessarily throw ladders the way they're taught there um, when right. they get back because they just don't have the staffing. So it's, it's good to know what, what should get done and all that stuff. And then kind of when you get to back to the department, it's almost like, well, we have to figure it out. I mean, we've all done things that we know NFBA or EFSA would have an absolute field day with and been like, oh my God, you can't do that. And it's like, well, you gotta like, not, not crazy stuff, but just normal short staff stuff. So, yeah. Well, and I, you know, they may have the opinion on what we can and can't do, but the reality is mom and the three kids are depending on us because they're trapped. You know, the trapped civilians are still there exactly, like, and they don't have the book. They don't have the standard and they don't really give a shit about it because they want us in that house, yeah. you know, getting them the F out of there. Like they, yeah. they want that line inside. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so, and that's where, like I said, it's, it's challenging because, you know, you'll, you, in the fire service, you probably can come across the people who can cite the standard mm -hmm. almost like there are some kind of secret yeah. NFPA or IFSTA police. Yeah. Um, and as far as I know, IFSTA doesn't have that, like it's not a branch of them or NFPA, but like they're out there. Yeah. And like I said, I, you know, the citizens are the ones that we're there for. So we have to really focus yeah. on the best practices to get us to them. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I try to, especially teaching no matter which organization I'm teaching for, whether it be um, for the fools or or the academy or or just regular trainings. As I try to tell everybody, like it it's unfortunate when you're short staffed. Um, there's people arriving with one one people's people in an engine or a ladder, uh, two people, three people, whatever you're handed. It's I, I try to kind of preach them when. A house catches on fire and a woman sitting outside saying her kids trapped on the second floor they're not they don't they're not going to accept the excuse that there's only two people arriving on that engine it's they're expecting what they see on tv the fdny or chicago fire or boston fire pulling up and saving the day um and they they don't understand the challenges it is there that take place when you're arriving and you have to do the work of four people um and for us, it's, yeah, I heard, like, well, we don't get fires. Well, you can't arrive on scene and tell a woman, like, oh, we don't we don't have that many fires. Their house is on fire right now, and they expect us to train and be proficient in our job. So there's no excuse for that. It's yeah. training, training overcomes that lack of real-world world experience. And I'm sure you've looked at the numbers, and everybody says, like, hey, fires are down. They're only down three percent, so they're really kind of stagnant right now. But and I get that it feels like we're down, but if somebody's house catches on fire in our town, they're calling us. They're not calling anybody else. So right. we still have to train for that moment, not what we do seventy-five percent of the time, which is obviously medicals. Um, we have to be proficient at everything. So uh, the, the this just popped in my head here, but the ambulances. Um, they have fire equipment on them as far as like an SCBA and their turnout here and stuff or. Yeah. So the, so the, both ambulances actually, since even before we split the town, they had, so if you were uh, prior to 2020, if you were on paramedic one, you'd put your gear on P1. Um, it has SCBAs and a set of irons. Um, now they're, everything has SCBAs on it um, and irons, 
but then it, they'll grab their gear and jump over the ladder if they're if it's a ladder call for them um, or keep it on the ambulance. Well, where I was kind of going with this, uh, just because I think that, like my fire department, we have, you know, we, we've got like a hook and a can, we've got a set of irons uh, and the SCBA and the gear compartment. But like, do you have any tips, tricks and hacks and how you approach that from the ambulance? Because I actually, I think that sometimes like, well, I, I would love to go to a fire on a fire truck, 100%. I'm not going to tell you that I want to go on the ambulance. Yeah. Um, but like, what what's your approach to a house fire on the ambulance when you've got to go to work? So, so we, so actually uh, as officers since 2015, I haven't been on the ambulance. Um, but when I was, and actually with what I have the guys do um, now is every, every single fire is different. And that's mm -hmm. one thing that I never really understood until I was in the seat. Um, I still remember the fires I went to on the ambulance and thinking like, Hey, why am I even on the, on the engine sometimes? Like, hey, why why are we splitting crews? Like, why am I going with this person? My my driver's going with that person. Like, it, it was never it never really dawned on me um, until a couple of the fires I, I, I pull up. I'm like, oh, you have to split the crews just out of the sheer nature of what we're doing. I mean, my driver ended up grabbing the hydrant, and I'm like, I'm looking, and I'm like, I have to split everybody. Like, I need an officer on the first floor supervising the overhaul. I need an officer on the second floor supervising the extension and and double checking everything so the only chance was to split crews so with the ambulance they'll arrive i i try to have them and um there's one event i completely it was one of my actually second or third fire as a captain i completely admit i made mistakes um and uh, things i shouldn't necessarily have done um and we talked about it later and obviously guys are guys and they'll ne never let me forget it but something i won't ever do again but if we're arriving together, like my engine, engine three, and one of the ambulances, I'll have them either grab the hydrant and tag our hydrant so we can stay together as a crew and go up to the, the fire, uh, which works out pretty well. And it was more just an idea I had because of placement. Um, I wanted to make sure that they're at least a hydrant away so they're not getting blocked by four inch in case one of us gets hurt and needs an ambulance. Uh, or when we pull up and there's a civilian and they need it, um, I wanted them out of the way because there's too many times where we assume it's a, a false alarm. It smells of metal skull. So the ambulance pulls up right on the bumper of the engine. Now they get trapped. Um, so but as far as assignment goes, it, it depends on how many, if we're all in town, I might have one of the ambulances start throwing ladders and be exterior just in case there's a medical or just in, or not a medical in town, but a medical at the fire ground. Right, right. Um, and then if there's only one, they might be split between the ladder and the ambulance, or I'll have them pair up with another engine and depending on the fire and, and kind of go in, they, they get their assignment on, on arrival. Uh, we have had them just kind of act like a truck company and go in and search and stay together. You have uh, to say that, that like, you know, you're coming back from the hospital and the box drops yeah. uh, and they get there first. I mean, like what's your expectation maybe of that, that ambulance crew operating together, you know, they're like, obviously they got to beach the ambulance out of the way um, yeah. for all the reasons you listed and plus not to block the scene up, but like, what do you, what do you want from, from them or, or like, a, you know, if you were on the ambulance, what's, what's your goal as like a senior riding member to, 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 to do, because this is the part where I think a lot of departments 
you know, that this is a conversation that needs to happen, but yeah. we don't talk about it because it's an ambulance and it's not sexy. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And we don't we don't necessarily shy away from those conversations. Like you say, when I first got, I'm like, hey, look, if you're on the ambulance, you're arriving with us. I want you at the hydrant, um, just helping out with the hydrant. And it's worked out well with the exception of that one incident. Um, but it's never really, and it's something I'm definitely have to get, going to discuss is what their expectation is of arrival. Um, I would hope and I would expect, and again, my guys are very progressive, very smart. I would hope that they'd arrive, obviously, beach the ambulance out of the way, get it out of the way, and do what they can without, obviously, the equipment. They only have a set of irons. They don't have a can. So um, we've had fires where there's a chandelier burning, and the ambulance crew went in with their dry chem extinguisher that's required by OEMS, and just one little pump and put it out, and we're good. But if it's a if it's a room in contents, um, it's it's going to depend on their comfort level, their training, and their their the circumstance. If they're arriving and then a woman's like, "Hey, my kid's in that window right there," and it's a first floor, first floor window, I mean, they can absolutely vent and search that window mm -hmm. and go with the gear that they have. Um, but I think the biggest thing is communication um, to us, and that's one thing that has been mentioned a couple of times, even, even for surviving engines, just that initial report and the initial, what we're doing, the, the can reports, um, the ambulance can absolutely give the can report. Hey, it is an absolute, it is a working fire. Um, I, I tell them there's nothing, nothing wrong with striking a box. Um, we've had one, it was unfortunately his own, his own house. He was on the ambulance that day and, um, his garage oh, got fire. Yeah. And he, he was first on scene. He beat everybody, obviously. Um, very quickly and struck a box and there was no questions asked. It's it, he's a senior guy. He's very smart. Um, and I try to make sure that they're comfortable enough that they can take command initially or take or strike a box if it's a working fire and they know what needs to get done or at least communicate it to me. And if my guys, no matter who it is on my group right now, if they're saying, yes, it's a working fire, I might start the box before we get there. And Striking box for us gets us any off-duty available member. Um, so you might get two people, you might get 20. It depends. <laughs> um, and it, for now, with our new run cards, it actually gets us writ on the first alarm and um, three engines covering each station for mutual aid. Um, and that's brand new to us. That's that's within this year. Yeah. Um, but So I, I try to empower them, and it's definitely something I'm going to communicate a lot more um, after this conversation is just – Take the situation, communicate back to me, um, strike the box if needed, and do what you can. I mean, we're not asking you to throw ladders to the second floor in veteran search if all they have is a foldable ladder or what have you, or go in and do a search. Yeah. Um, if, if, <laughs> Position if, the striker next to the building. Yeah. It's, it's, do, <laughs> do everything the, you can and make sure, yeah, communicate with the, the, the civilians outside. Like if it's yep. their home and they're like, where's the fire engine? Communicate with them. Um, I, with us. I, I think the uh so like that was gonna be my question was what what does uh strike a box mean in yeah. marshfield and, and explain it um yeah. because you know i want as an officer thinking firefighters and especially if i work overtime i have to just i, I like to remind people too like because the expectations out there that if you think we need something um if you screw up and make a bad call I'll defend you. We'll talk about it, but like 
you know, it, it ends with me and it, it starts with me because I want you, I would rather have somebody make a bad decision. And, and when I say that, I mean, like, they got smoke showing out, they think it's a work and fire, and they, they might, for us, like, you know, put a second alarm in, and then we find out it's like some very bad food on the stove. Yeah. But I'm okay with that because if they don't do it or they're afraid to do it, you know, like we said, like you made a mistake and you're talking about it. Like we can make mistakes and it's okay, but I, I need to put that confidence that I will always have their back yeah. unless it's something completely asinine. You know, they're getting on the radio and they're like, we need California tankers here, you know, an airdrop of some sort. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Something ridiculous like that. But yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, yeah. That's different. Um, yeah, a couple, just real quick, a couple of the yeah. officers I've worked for, um, one in particular, um, just amazing, amazing officer. Um, but he's come up, especially when I first got promoted, he came up and questioned a couple of the decisions I made. And he's always said, and he goes, he's like, I'm not asking to you to defend your, he's like, if you have justification for it, he goes, that's all I need. He goes, if you make a decision, justify it. He goes, whether I think it's right or wrong or indifferent, he goes, if you can justify a decision, it was the right decision at that time. And that's one thing I've tried to communicate um, to everybody. It's if you make a decision, no matter what it is, whether it be automatical or a fire ground or anything, if you're just if you're justifying it, then that's okay. But if you have no justification for it, if you're anything like that's when those questions are going to start. Um, yeah, he was great. There was a couple of things that he he questioned. He's like, hey, why why did this happen? And I said, well, I said it was this person. Like this, we saw this, we saw that, we saw this, and that was the decision I made. Okay, that's all I need. Because he was getting questions from somebody else asking him, like, "Hey, can you can you find out why this happened?" And it's nothing drastic, but again, it's justification right. for any any decision, and you're good. And if you make a mistake, then it's a training opportunity afterwards. As long as it's nothing outrageous where anybody got hurt or killed. So right. Um, the you know, and then once they go back to the beginning here, this the floor of my notes. You you've done a lot of work with RIT. Yeah. Um. I know in New York for some reason it's probably because of the FDNY, but we call it fast. You know, same thing. Um. What do you I'm trying to think of? Where where does your mind have to go when you're going to start? You know, if you're starting out and getting into RIT or if you're on a RIT, like, you know, you're new to the job, you're old to the job, whatever it is, like, where, where does your mind have to be at when you're when you're doing RIT deployments? Because I know there's a lot of there's a lot in the line, but a lot of us sometimes like it's not the prize thing on the fire ground yeah. because you're probably not going to work. Hopefully yeah. you're not going to work. Yeah. Um. So so we try to. So, again, mass mass is. Um, program is actually it's it's amazing and we have people from all over that come and teach with us and a great great group of instructors I have guys um have actually been on on your show too and uh uh from boston from everywhere around and um we try to tell them like the, the preparedness is the the biggest part mm -hmm. hopefully when you get there hopefully you're not gonna have to go to work um but be ready to go to work dress appropriately for us too. And, and coming from a small town, I try to tell them like, Hey, if we go mutual aid somewhere, or if you're, if you're having mutual aid come in, dress the part, be ready for the part and think worst case scenario, have your gear ready, have all your tools. Um, and then the big thing is, is think, 
think constantly on the fireground and I, I especially teaching with Rusty and going around. It's like just doing like a, a station. Last one of the last times I taught, right? I did 360 and size up. And it's like, all right, if you hear this radio transmission or this radio transmission, the, the 16 key trigger phrases, things should start popping off in your head and be like, oh, like this might be going south and be ready for it. Um, but until then, think about every single action that you do has to be beneficial for those inside. Um, once you get activated, there's there's not going to be any like all the all the breathing techniques and all that stuff if that happens those might go out the window because you're like oh like you just heard either somebody somebody you know call mayday or somebody from a neighboring community call mayday and it's like it's very difficult to come down from that uh we had an incident one mayday in our town um and what wasn't anything crazy just roof collapsed um and i still remember just that feeling of being in fire alarm and hearing it and again, it's, we don't know the situation. We just heard the radio transmissions and it immediately they're like, oh my God, like it was just it, it very, very eye opening. And that's actually what got me into it. Um, I wanted to learn about it and kind of be prepared for it. But just that, I know there's a ton of different classes on it, ton of, ton of different um, the articles on it, but just having that kind of writ readiness. Um, you, you know, I just, if you're, if, if we can kind of, Back up a little bit. You, you talked about the sixteen key um, fireground phrase, uh, <clears throat> sixteen key uh, phrases, um, trigger phases, right? Yeah. Uh, and I I had never heard that before, so like I'm putting myself out there. It's something, and I just kind of, yeah. as you were talking about this, I hit it. Um, yeah. Not putting you on the spot here, but do you have them off the top of your head? Um, so actually, um, thanks to Rusty and Taylor's tins um he hands these out actually i believe joe minahan was the first one to make these um or both of them can join but um i carry this in my wallet um so it's it doesn't have the percentages in there but it's i, I got them here on my phone yeah. so we can talk about them yeah so hit, hit it up because i think this is something like i said this is i i didn't think we'd be going down this road and i <laughs> but it's it's kind of it's kind of neat because i like i said i had no idea yeah so it's um, there's zero visibility. There's fire above our heads. There's fire below us. Give us more line. We've not found the fire yet. Uh, we're running out of air. It's a hoarding house. Flashovers occurred. Ceiling or roof collapse. Lost multiple windows. It's really hot in here. We're backing out. Um, our exit is blocked. We're sending firefighters out with a problem. Holes in the floor or floor collapse. A lot of sprinkler heads activated and command lost communications with crews. Um, so that came from uh, Project Mayday, uh, Don Abbott, um, and his, um, his study. And it's something that we've added to a lot of the programs in mass. And it's in, in one of the lectures, um, my original lecture. And then the one that Joe and I, uh, did together, it's in there. It's pretty much, it's one of those things that we kind of try to drive home. And it's when he, Don Abbott dissected, um, all the audio from the X amount of years that he studied Mayday's and put all the statistics together. Uh, like it, it was like one of them i remember was 57 percent. so 57 percent of the audios that he listened to had this transmitted over the air prior to the mayday so it's one of those things he compiled and i think it's great it's one of the really really big take homes from that that study is as an instant commander or specifically as the writ and for us going mutual aid or having mutual aid come in one of the things we try to teach is turn that radio on listen to the fire ground from dispatch 
And as you're arriving on scene, you should be listening to what's going on inside. And some of those are kind of like people look at those and they're like, yeah, that one's obvious. Like things are going south. It's like, but if you look back at anybody's audio, any anybody's fire, I guarantee you at least one of those was said. Um, there's a couple of those that were said at a neighboring community. And um, it's just like in, in while it's happening, it doesn't necessarily have the, the same effect. You're like, unless yeah. you know them. And it's like afterwards, you're like, oh, my God, I said three of those. Um, and there's been fires where multiple have been said and then all of a sudden made it occurred. Um, not, not it my, is uh, chilling to me because like I reading them on their own and, and into this context, it's very specific. Yeah. So we're geared toward it. We are geared towards it. But now yeah. I'm thinking about these fires where we've walked away from and we've been like, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it, but it's, it's, it's literally something that I got chills because yeah. like you said, there's, they're used in, in twos and threes and it's so. Yeah. Almost like there's a sense of control. Yeah. So yeah. like you don't, it's not panic when they're saying it. Yeah. You know, yeah, or slow build. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, and I remember um, talking to people at one class and having having somebody drum up, and they're like, "No, like I want to hear, I want to hear them. Like if they say that, like I want their voice to be kind of like amped up." We didn't say that cool, calm, collective, and there's there's pros and cons of both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Every radio transmission should be cool, calm, collective. You listen to one of the, the audios that we use is um, the I can't remember his name, the the guy that landed on the Hudson. Um, Yep. And he's just very, very cool. Come, not panicked, not a, just very matter of fact. No, we're we're going on the Hudson, right? So um, there's there's benefits of having somebody that's in trouble like that because you can communicate with them, but it's not necessarily that easy. There's ways when we talk about um, one of the, the the programs that we teach for the, the state is the dispatcher program. How the dispatcher can help, and you listen to a couple of the examples, um, and the dispatcher actually starts asking the down firefighter questions to calm them down but the benefit of having the other end is if i especially coming from a small town if i hear the panic in somebody's voice i know what they're going through like you listen to one of the somebody who's just a solid firefighter and all of a sudden they're panicked you know something bad's happening and you can hear it and especially if they're starting to make those radio transmissions prior to something you know what they're going through because they're never like that so I think it, it creates that mindset of being able to understand what they're going through and understand that it's not just them saying like, oh yeah, there's fire above our heads. Like, oh no, like it's getting hot in there. You know what I'm So yeah. um, and that's one thing, uh, one of the, the fools instructors, um, Bert Davis from Worcester, had, that's he was the one that chimed up when, um, when I was teaching that. And it's an amazing point and it's something I never really thought of, but that helps with our original point of, where where do your does your mind have to be and it's you have to be constantly thinking and constantly trying to put yourself in if engine two is on the second floor and they're saying all these things like what are they going through and what can i do to benefit them simply throwing a ladder for egress if they if they i tell people like ladder the building and if they get in if they get something happens and they have to bail out and all of a sudden they bailed out and you're looking and they're like, what just happened? They, a whole crew just jumped down a ladder, but they're good. That's a successful red operation in my, my view and everybody else's view. Yeah. Um, it's just something as simple as that. And just, again, thinking everything you can do to benefit 
the firefighters inside. So it's not just that getting dispatches writ and kind of slouching in your chair and being like, oh, I'm writ. All I'm going to do is stand and look like a shepherd in the front yard with my New York hook. And it's you check in and it's that proactive writ that they're teaching is check in, do a 360, soften the building, constantly work. Um, and it's something actually I'm writing a, a paper on now is trying to, the, 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 um, the benefit of having the standardized training and trying to get it out to everybody. And so when we go mutual aid, we're operating the same way. Um, cause if, if we go mutual aid to another town and somebody's like, Hey, like pull two and a half to the rear, it's going to happen. But if we go mutual aid as written and they're expecting one way of red and we're giving them another way, like the old school tarp or anything like that, like it's, it's getting everybody on the same page was the idea of having the program um, in the state. And I think it's, I think it's a great step forward of getting everybody on the same page. So we're operating the same way and yeah. we can intermingle and two people from my town and two people from the town Northwest can be a four person writ and understand what, the same. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, writ's definitely a challenge. I love teaching for the program and the administration side right now has opened my eyes to a lot. <laughs> and uh, it's, Oh, it's a lot of fun and it's it's definitely the program um i mean i love teaching everything um obviously hoses anything and um just kind of get myself out there but it's definitely where my passion was so it yeah. still is um do you, you know I, I remember people telling me that you know in a, one of the departments i volunteered with at, at one point they didn't want to send young members to writ or fast training because they didn't have enough experience yet. Yeah. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, they're not experienced enough. And I was like, it was interesting. Cause I just got done with, you know, or, you know, at the, whatever point it was, it was like a career fire Academy. And I had a guy who never was a fire. Like he got hired off the civil service list. Yeah. He did not volunteer. And we taught him writ because that's part of the curriculum. So like, what's the, yeah. you know, there's, there's these nuance. Do you agree with that mindset? Because I, I've always thought, like, what happened? Like, well, one, I know that there's a very big amount of uh, a large percentage of, of down firefighters that are saved by their own crew. So, like, first yeah. and foremost, I think it's really important for the guy that's working next to me, whether yeah. he's 15 years on or 15 days, to have that knowledge of how to get me out of the building. God yeah. forbid something happens, right? Yeah. So that's, that's one of the benefits of um, – so – I actually for for the paper right and I actually reached out to one of the guys that formulated the, the program for the state and he was I asked him because every every recruit that comes through the state academy has two days of writ um, and so before they graduate and it's not part of the fire one two program it's right. it's not required which I think it, I mean obviously we can we, I believe we share the same opinion on that but yeah, as I say I think we're on the same page here but <laughs> yeah so but the the best part is I mean mass runs two two rip pro, or, yeah two um two recruit programs through one um one uh campus every five weeks so they're 10 week programs so there's there's two classes every time and there's 24 to 30 students each time. And they, they've been running since I've been there. They've been running nonstop. And then the two other campuses have one one class every 10 weeks. So it, all three campuses are running nonstop. But every recruit that comes through gets two days of writ, which I think is super important. Um, there's other programs. Uh, 
that are designed for others that doesn't necessarily have it because it's not part of the standard. And I think to your point, I think everybody needs to know RIT, um, whether it be actual RIT skills or the saving ourselves skill, which I which encompasses RIT too. Because not only do you have to call a mayday if you're in trouble, you have to do stuff to survive. So as we teach, we have a two-day program that we teach on the road um, for just saving ourselves skills. And it's one thing that um, looking at the numbers, like you said, through Don Abbott's study, 90% of maydays are resolved by nearby companies or the firefighter themselves. Only seven are resolved by RIT. But that being said, it doesn't negate RIT skills. Because like you said, I want the guy next to next to me knowing how to get me out and that seven percent is the oh my god like nobody else can help like i need rit in here so i think it's something everybody should take and when i teach a class i, I tell them i relate it back to cpr i i hate relating anything in the fire service back to medical stuff but obviously we have to do it but every five years we have to re-up in cpr and <laughs> the the little logo on the the, the corner of the card wants to maybe make some more money or you know what, we can't use the same book every five years so we got to update something so every five years they make you buy a book and and get a new card and it changes from whatever to all the numbers change and different studies yeah i tell them it's the same way if we got a huge uh, i see a lot of students that come back and take writ classes whether it be writ or sos or um our new program live on or writ on a fire or anything like that or coming in and, and taking pools classes um, and taking our red stuff. And uh, it's, we see a lot of people coming back. I tell them it's one of those things where like, if I take it officer one, that might be the only time I take officer one because then right. I get certified. I'm, I'm certified officer one and I'm good to go. And you're doing it every yeah. day. Yeah. It's but not then, a perishable skill. Yeah. The red is them, though. Yeah. So I tell the, especially the recruits, that's the beginning of their career. They're on year one of their career. 30 years down the road, if you get assigned a writ and one of your members goes down and you haven't done it in 30 years, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, that's going to weigh on you. Like, hey, I messed up. I messed up the conversion or I messed. We had one student um, who I, I love when allowing them to make mistakes and kind of talking about it afterwards. Um, and I remember putting the dummy, the, the down firefighter mannequin on the third floor and have them go in and get them. And they're in, they're in full blackout shields. They can't see anything. And they're new. So they they unclip the regulator, grab the rip bag. They unclip the regulator from the mask. And then they didn't realize that they put the down firefighter's regulator back in the mask and twist it on. Well, it took, I think, five different teams to get that down firefighter out of the building, which on average, it does take 16. So technically four, four teams of four. But... It took up until I think it was the third team, the leader always has a clear face piece with a thermal imager and kind of guides everybody. Um, and just kind of working on that communication. And finally he said, hey, Searcher One, can you double check that regulator? It looks like it's their own. And sure, but sure enough it was, but it had been 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I talked to them like, hey, like 20 minutes of suffocation. Like if you were that person that tossed that regulator on a down firefighter, not realizing it wasn't the rip back, and just oh yeah okay and drive them out and then you realize that they weren't breathing that entire time like that's going to weigh on you for the the remaining years of your career so it's one of those things where we want to send the a team in and we want everybody like we want everybody to drive to be that a team 
um, throughout their entire career. So I try to educate people and try to stress the importance of coming back and taking classes, try to stress the importance of having fun with the training and learning because yeah. we don't want to, we, we don't want them going through and having like drill school type stuff. Like we want to have fun with them. They want to like, if they're, if they're enjoying it, they're going to want to learn more and they, they listen to you a lot more rather than that kind of other version of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, like I said, we've seen people all over. We had a bunch of, bunch of mass kids that, um, I've seen through the programs and seen consistently come up to one of Rusty's programs up in Bath, um, right under fire. And we had a blast with them. I mean, we had, um, it, it was, it was just a fun, fun day. Um, now we've brought a, a similar program back to mass too. So can you, uh, right under fire, I'm, when I say Rit Under Fire, I'm thinking of ISFI. I took the Rit Under Fire at Firehouse Expo with the guys. Yeah. There's predominantly people from Chicago. Yeah. And it was, I was not passionate about being on a fast team. Yeah. Um, that that class changed my world because there was a bunch of, uh, you know, pulpit pimp tricks that I learned along the way of like things like, well, this will be good. Like you should try this or on YouTube, somebody showed me this trick. Yeah. And then when I was in a live fire environment with a down firefighter trying to do this stuff, yeah, it was hot. Mm-hmm. And that room did not offer any forgiveness. And yeah. I just, I remember losing my digital dexterity and being like, I have just lost digital dexterity. I am now in gross motor brain. Yeah, and I could not undo the strap, the waist, the waist strap. Like yeah. I was taught in, in in New York State, to no fault, right? right. Like, do a, do a pack conversion, yeah. and like these thumbs could not grab and and disconnect, and then go through and reconnect. Like it was just I was stumbling. Yeah. Um. Is it is it is it is your writ under fire similar to that? Um. So actually, is it, is it different? So the coordinator, Brad, and I are going to go to IFSI next year. We got the money for it. And um, we're going to go take that class to try to bring stuff back. Our version of it. So it's been around for a little bit. It was originally called All Operational Great Leader. Um, And what I remember when I back actually prior to when I started traveling and and met you guys and everybody else, I was just taking state classes. Um, And I think there's like four or five hundred state classes. I, I got through about 80 of them. And the number one class I took was operational writ leader. Cause I remember I took every writ class I could. And then when we did this, I didn't know what to expect. There was a sim lab portion. There was a, um, electric portion. And then day two was live fire. I'm like, this is gonna be cool. And it's the same thing. Like it adds that, Oh my God. Like you go, I remember being the lead and we're going down the stairs we do a 180, and the whole back wall of the basement was going. I'm like, Oh, like crap. Like this is new. Like, <laughs> so it just adds that kind of, that environment that a lot of people say that you can get that stressors up by yelling at students and all that stuff to get them amped up and get their blood pressure going. And it, I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's, we got to add stuff like that, the live fire, the zero visibility and that kind of, Oh shit factor, but help them walk them through it and build that confidence so yeah. they can actually do that. So our, our program, we just redid it because um, we got rid of the sim lab portion Actually, there's a station on the fast board, um, the FEP system, and and a couple other ones that we introduce. It's called Advanced Rit now. Um, but day two, we pretty much kept similar. Um, we just tweaked a couple of the scenarios, but we we start off the day with a very similar, or like a, a 
simple scenario to show that like, hey, sometimes all you have to do is guide the person back to a line and they can get out by themselves. And that's that's your mayday. And everyone's like, huh. And then we build it up from there um, and then see how the students are going and kind of tweak. But um, so it's it's oh, it's definitely it's one of our, our biggest. We got a, you know, abundance of feedback from it. Um, but there's certain things like we, we can't necessarily do, which is we, we can't have live people be the down firefighter because of if mm -hmm. FBA and all that stuff. So we have mannequins. So we try to make the most realistic or have the most realistic mannequins, the ones where they're actually heavy with actual structure to it. But like you said, we see people struggling once they get in that zero visibility environment of just simple things of like, we've had students come back and take every single rig class and they forget to tie off the rope or they forget to do this or forget to do that because that added stressor, like you talked about where the, the thumbs just won't work. And it's something we try to teach them. And so they're prepared for it, but it's also one of those things where we have to build up that confidence. So when they get to that level and their heart rate hits that level of the cognitive thinking just goes out the window um, from the, I forget what study it was on, on combat and all that. Mm -hmm. um, Grossman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Grossman study. So the, we try to tell them that like, Hey, this is what's going to happen to you. So this is why we build that muscle memory. This is why you should train on it as, as much as you can, even though hopefully you never have to do that, but not only in a burn building, when there's live fire, your heart rate's going to hit the roof, but think about that in a real life scenario. And we've talked to people, um, there's a, a large number of instructors that have had personal experiences or have been involved in it. So we try to talk to them about what they went through and their personal experience so they can bring that to the table and and have at least try to prepare some of the students for that of or pretty much anybody um whether it be your own job or or classes or whatever you try to prepare them that hey this is what's going to happen this is why we're doing it a million times where you do a harness conversion 50 times in one day so that way tomorrow when you can't right. see you're going to be able to do it um and it's it, that it's the uh, same thing with like bailout you know and, and i'm not a i'm a supporter of bailout systems i just wish that we could practice it a little bit more yeah because i you know it's it's and, and i think in new york we're required to do two jumps every six months or maybe that's just us I don't, but like like we need to get better at doing that so it's muscle memory because mm -hmm. And, and it's just it, like it's, it's always just aggravated me so much, Pat. That I like right. I I you know I make no doubt that like I exercise my Second Amendment rights to defend myself if I need to, and like there's a lot of training that goes into that. Yeah. Um, I need to deploy the bailout system in the same way that I deploy yeah. that self protection because that's what it is. And yeah. you know, do we train to that that muscle memory? Yeah. And it's a you know. Thankfully, I have a really, really sharp guy, Terry Lane, who's created a bailout prop for us. Um, so now, hopefully, we're, we're, you know, we got new systems uh, yeah. from. Uh, crap, I can't remember who we got them from. Uh, but um, you know, it, it's yeah, it's just like the same thing with the written or fire. And and I I really wish that we would have an adult come in the room, blow the whistle, and be like, okay the rules say this and we're not doing this because some people died under some really stupid circumstances. Yeah. But in this controlled environment, we need to use an actual firefighter. Yeah. 
mm -hmm. who is experienced with a safe word and everything else yeah. to, to package them and get them out because yeah. th like that. And that was the one thing I was able to do in Tennessee at Firehouse Expo. I think it was 2016 was that I actually got to utilize real people. Yeah. Like they had rescue firefighters from like Knoxville, Nashville, and um memphis like these are these were you know top jakes like they were they were salty as fuck. yeah and but like it was perfect and then like afterwards they would give you the feedback like i remember one guy he came right up to me i thought he was gonna deck me but he grabbed me by the the shoulder strap and says i'm a real fucking person <laughs> like, you cannot bend me that way yeah like and i was like oh shit like yeah. you know because you don't it's it just yes. Sorry yeah. for that diatribe there. I just no. Actually, you you brought up an awesome point. Um, so my first my first experience with live, um, down firefighters was actually at the Syracuse Heavy Rescue Conference back. I forget it was the first annual one um, oh. with Augie and all them. But I had taken the Rick class. Any anytime I go to a conference, I try to jump in a Rick class to see if there's something new. And um, so I took that class and I'm good friends with um, one of the guys that was teaching Justin Unisic from Boston. And he's like, Oh, wait till you see what we have in store. And there was no live fire, but they made the course so challenging that it was like, Oh my God. And Justin was the first down firefighter that had a drag. So I remember, I remember being like pushing, I was at the feet I'm pushing it. And it, like, I could, I mean, obviously I could talk to him cause he was conscious, but I'm like, this is just so much different than dragging around a, a little mannequin. Um, and then, so we started incorporating some of that and I know they've, they've done different ones. I, I know, I remember trying to lift um, another Boston guy out of a hole and just remembering like, Hey, I could do this with a mannequin bike. It's just that dead weight. He did an awesome job of just going limp and it just brings a whole new challenging factor that you can't get with mannequins. Um, so it's, and then I took a search class actually at Boston. I remember dragging around Kenny Hayes just as a civilian and just the challenging aspect of that. And he had a jumpsuit on and he's like, you can't use clothes. So just in all these different techniques of using big bodies or big, big bones to be able to control somebody. And these one, these drags that just don't work with a live person that doesn't have clothes on. Right. Um, and it was huge. There's out. no straps back here on a live person. No, right? <laughs> no, exactly. And even trying to find your webbing and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, like just changing around stuff after that. But one of the things that we did incorporate. So whenever we go and teach with Rusty, like there's a couple of different um, ones I didn't do the last time because I was still hurting. But I like we I was the live firefighter for a couple of scenarios. And uh, so, and I'm not a small dude, <laughs> so it it was trying to challenge him. And to your point where he's like, I'm a live person. You can't bend me that way. I went limp and just let them do whatever they want. I, it cost me a week or two. I was, I was definitely hurt. I got punched in areas I don't want to be punched in. And uh, I got dropped on my head down the stairs a couple of times, but it's every single person's like, I've never had to do that with a live person. Um, and there's things that come away from it of things that work, things that don't work. Um, I remember we teach them to, to check somebody's air to see if they have air. You can either peel back their face piece or grab the regulator and pull just real quick, just to see if there's a, a shot of air. And I remember sitting there and one of the kids that did that to me, it, it came off like a half an inch. And then as they were dragging me down the stairs, the whole mask came off. And I was like, Hmm, not going to teach that method anymore. Like I didn't realize that 
like he didn't realize that when he pulled he pulled it up and it went over my nose so as yeah. he dragged me down the stairs everything came off and rather than just open the purge and just see if there's air um if you can't see the regulator or anything like that so just little things from that i think we can learn so much more from having a an actual down firefighter um and again i i completely understand why we can't with the con construction of nfpa and all that stuff but conferences and all that stuff is where you get that right kind of added benefit um and like you said we're doing the doing the skills a million times and jumping a million times and all that stuff i've had people come up to me after bailout classes up in maine and been like i'm that's the first time i've ever done that um because they just didn't yeah. and so it's it's crazy to think about that the american fire service is world renowned for our tactics and all that stuff and then we have like that stuff going on where you can go 30 years and not jump out a window right. and it's like wow it's eye-opening yeah you know and it's funny too the technology that changed i'm pretty sure the it's petzl that we're using now for our bailout system yeah but the old one, like we stopped doing window bailouts because people were getting severely hurt from uh, the old one, like to to go down, you squeezed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you really squeezed, you accelerated to the ground. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, just you're only doing it two times a year. So it's two times a year. Somebody's like, oh, hey, how do you how do you how do you tie this? uh harness again around the, the yeah. guy oh yeah yeah it's like this you know and i yeah. i was the it's like this guy once on me and i remember coming out the window and i, I thought i was going to hang myself yeah like and it just like so there's all sorts of things that that happened and yeah um and now we don't have those i mean that the, the system definitely has made the world a difference because yeah. that was the other thing like you don't do this other than two times a year your natural inclination is going to be to grab that just grab onto something if you're not training for it and that you know right. and then that i took a, a real quick ride to one day and the, the system caught me but still it uh you know it's it's yeah. all good all good things i, I digress so, yeah yeah um, I just that there's a new one coming out that they released at fdic this year from sterling mm -hmm. so oh maybe it's sterling yeah that's sorry yeah. sterling's right we, we got yeah. yeah there's um there's another one i forget what it's called the ghost maybe or something like that but um we're sending a couple of people up to do the train the trainer so we can we yeah. can teach it. Um just on writ quickly. Yeah. To, to kind of wrap up because we've been going for over an hour here. What's um what are some of the shortfalls that you see uh as you're doing and you don't have to throw anybody under the bus and please don't. Um no, but like what are some of the shortfalls that you see uh for for writ, you know, if you got a writ team or you're 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 watching people come on on a, on a fire ground and you're just like ooh, that's you're missing you know or maybe my i don't know if it's a mindset thing but like what's what's a shortfall that you see so it's i, th I think it comes i mean it, it's actually in the lecture i tossed together too um the for the fools the um i think we have the bad habit of putting the wrong people on red or the, like the old adders of like oh they're never going to go to work so we're going to put the the person i don't want inside the building is going to be out red and I think we're pushing away from that and it, we've gotten to a point where I think everybody understands that's not the best plan of action because if I'm in trouble, I want the person that's been to the academy for 80 classes or, or training on this or teaches this stuff to be out there. 
And as much as it sinks losing them inside the fire, I, I want them just in case. But you can tell right away, and I'm not going to go off any specific instances um, just for personal reasons, but just, just as simple as having your stuff squared away, your gear, your tools, knowing what to grab, because you're in part far enough away. Having having a pack on, having your gear, I know this sounds silly, but having your accountability tags, having everything, checking in with instant command. Um, one thing I, I taught during the, the size up thing is in, especially coming from a small town, you have a ride for RIP because you're going to go mutual aid or mutual aid's coming to you. So you're going to have a 10, 15 minute ride. So if you as an officer come up to the instant commander um, with everything, everything ready to go, all your tools and be like, Hey, we're here. We're RIP. You hand over your accountability tags. First of all, you're already showing that you're prepared. If you're double checking, like, Hey, just, just verifying. I, I was listening to the radio. And so is engine two still on the second floor? Yeah. They're on the second floor is ladder one still doing a search. Yep. Being able to verify that information as to who's doing what and who's where, and if there's any updates, you're already showing that you're being progressive and listening to that stuff. And that is, to me, is going to make the world a difference for that instant commander, knowing that you're taking it seriously as opposed to arriving with one of your members doesn't even have their turn gear on, or you don't have all your accountability tags, or you don't have the right equipment or anything like that. It's, I think it's going to be that, that difference of they're going to look at that and be like, all right, they're squared away. If one of my members goes down, they're going to get them like, cause they, they take this seriously. Um, so again, not talking any certain circumstance, but having a crew do the complete opposite of that, that instant commander is going to have no faith in them. And if you look right. at project mandate, um, they asked the down firefighters, their, um, their confidence level in different people on the fire ground. And they had like a 90, I, I can't, I can't think of the numbers. It's on my computer that I'm using right now. Um, they have a, they have like a 90% confidence rate in their company officer and their instant commander. And then it drops down to like 17% confidence in rate. I think I think that's one thing that we need to change as far as Rick goes is we want people taking it seriously and not that we're doom and gloom and expect the worst, but I mean, us as a fire service, that's what we're there for. We're, we're not there to not go to work that day. Um, and the same thing goes for Rick. You're not there hoping something happens to them, but you're sure as hell going to be ready for it um, and show everybody else that you're ready for it. Um, and like I said, just, just as simple, something as simple as having your shit squared away. I'm sorry. Having your stuff squared away. No, you can say shit. It's all right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Having it squared away and showing that instant commander, that mutual aid chief that you might not necessarily know that you're ready to go and you're taking it seriously. I think it's going to mean the world of difference and then start acting appropriately and being prepared to be deployed. So very well said. All right, uh, we we got to wrap up here, Pat. But we're, Pat, we're, where can people find you? Uh, I'm all over social media. Um, none, none of my stuff is private. I don't think. Um, the I've had students reach out to me on social media asking questions about classes and all that stuff. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Um, I don't really What's your use... uh, Instagram handle. Uh, I think it's PA Smith ninety. Let me double check it. Um, yeah, PA Smith ninety. So PA Smith nine zero. Um, and I super, super common name. Um, 
so should be very easy to find on Facebook. But I'm only kidding. Uh, the um, it, it, the let me see. If you look on Facebook right now, I have the old Mike Clark uh, photo, but usually it's a picture of um, me and my three kids um, from one of the parades. But um, yeah, I've I've a bunch of mutual friends from all over. So from traveling, I've met a bunch of people. So usually people from any of the conferences can find me pretty quick. Anything uh, that you got to plug that's coming up? What's up? Anything you have to plug that's coming up? You teaching? You got a fools event coming up? Spring fling, winter fire school, or um, uh, you know, clam chowder, bake off? I don't know. What, what do you got? So I've been doing a lot of the stuff with the, the academy. Um, I don't think there's anything scheduled right now with Rusty, um, but there's usually a bunch of stuff. Um, I think we have the the Wells um, conference, the the lecture series up in March which is an awesome one. That's where I met you. Um, the, um, I know he's After, or at least you, you met me before I threw up in the parking lot. I think, I think before and after. <laughs> yeah. We might've had a lot to drink that night. That was a fun night. Um, but no, there's, there's nothing right now. Unfortunately this year, um, I've slowed my schedule way, way down. Um, had some personal, um, changes in my life and, uh, just can't afford to travel right now. So, um, unfortunately, I, as much as I'd love to go to all these conferences, I love traveling and seeing everybody. Um, I had a bunch of big plans this year, and um, I think Pensacola was the last big trip I had um, when I, or yeah, ODP. I think um, no, it was it was the the year that you were down there. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Went, I went to four of them that year. I had a okay. bail on, I had a bail on um, high rise conference because I was injured, but um, I think that was one of the last big trips, and then. Uh, the only thing I have going right now that is taking up a lot of my time is EFO. So I'll be going down there to graduate in April or May, hopefully, as long as I pass my paper. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully yeah. you do well, dot your T's and cross your I's. So. Yeah, and then uh, I get that fancy little paper, and uh, then I can go back to traveling a little bit more, and hopefully. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I've been I've been able. To, we just did two days in Auburn, Mass, with Rusty. That was great. Um, engine truck stuff. I did thermal imagers and fire behavior. Um, and then I'm sure I know we usually do a bunch of RIT stuff and a bunch of engine company stuff. I think he's checking out a place uh, this month for an upcoming one, but don't have dates yet. But we pop up every now and then. Social media is awesome. Again, just follow everything. Um, and usually I try to I try to post um, as much as I can. I've been kind of slow this year with it and try to stay off social media, but um, this year. But I'll get back at it. <laughs> well, Pat, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on Frontline Mindset tonight. I'm gonna take us off here, hang out for a minute. Just uh, once we uh, stop the uh, show here, so we can just catch up on a couple housekeeping things. But everybody, thank you for joining me tonight. This is Rob National Fire Radio with Frontline Mindset, Captain Patrick Smith, Marshfield, Massachusetts. Pat, thank you for coming on the show, talking about all things RIT. And everything else in between, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks Be for having me. everybody. And uh, yeah, no problem, man. This is awesome. And everybody, stay safe out there. We'll catch you on the next one. National Fire Radio.